Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Good morning. It's Monday, June 29th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. We've got a fun episode for you today, and in the interest of full disclosure, I'm going to be in and out all week. Uh, I've got a few vacation days lined up ahead of the July 4th holiday, but that does not mean that the show stops. We've got a few interviews in the can. We've got a few special guests to, to have for you. And the one today that we're going to play for you is a conversation I had last week with Josh Pate, who's 24-7 Sports Director of Video. Josh hosts the Late Kick Show on Thursday night and on Sunday night on the 24-7 Sports YouTube page. He does a great job. He's a, a fantastic guest. And we, t- we, we wanted to talk about our playoff projections, and our playoff ballots. So what happened is last week, 24-7 Sports tallied eight, eight of our, I guess, national experts or analysts, and I got to be a part of that. And they, they tallied our votes, our top six playoff ballots, and then made an aggregate you know, playoff field. And the, the top four was Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and Oklahoma. Josh and I did not vote like that. Josh had Oregon number four. I had Florida number four. So we unpacked that. We unpacked a few random scenarios that we're trying to predict will be talking points come November. Like Notre Dame, can they lose and get in? Uh, can the conference get two teams in again? Can a two-loss team get in for the first time ever? And that was sort of my argument with Florida. You know, why is the Big 12, despite the fact that as a collective unit, 24-7 sports had Oklahoma in it? I just don't know. I don't know if the Sooners are going to be good enough to get through a tough Big 12. And and I think the national, comp, uh, the national competition this year for a playoff, Oregon out west, Notre Dame right there uh, in the hunt. A few other really good potential at-large teams in Penn State and Florida. I think it's going to be tough for the Big 12. So we're going to talk about all of that. It's a great conversation, a great discussion. I encourage your feedback about it on our Apple podcast page. Leave us a review. It's essentially just like leave us a comment section. Leave us a review there. The one thing I will say is a few times ago we had Josh on and he talked about why he does not believe a group of five team will ever or should ever make the playoff. And Josh got flamed for it on Twitter. So I'm hoping nothing is that upsetting this time. But, you know, if he says something that you don't agree with or that, yeah, you know, kind of offends your football sensibilities, absolutely make sure that he hears about it. So here's my conversation with Josh Pate. All right, bring it on, Josh Pate. Josh, how's it going, man? I'm good, man. I'm, um, I got a mouthful of blueberries as you bring me in because I thought that you were going to do one of those ridiculous overhyped extended intros and instead it was hey josh 
which I prefer, but I just wish I would have known Trey. I would have had an empty mouth. I can I can run my mouth while you finish that. Um, so we had to do our playoff projections earlier this week at 24-7 Sports. And I wanted to get you on to talk about that and to talk about some playoff dark horses that you mentioned on 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 the late kick the other night. And I think before we were coming on, while you were you know dealing with the blueberries and a granola bar too, which you didn't mention, we were talking about how it was maybe a little early to have to come up with our top four and actually our top six and how we were one through three are pretty easy. And you can put that in, in any order you'd like, depending on strength of schedule, or maybe you think Ohio state slips up or Alabama slips up, but they still get in because of the top three or because they're just so good, but you get to four through six and it's really tough. And I was asking you about Oregon. I was like, Hey, you have Oregon at number four. That's, that's pretty interesting. I had Oregon at five. You have Notre Dame at five. I didn't have Notre Dame in my top six. And then you were the only one of, of any of the eight national type people to have Wisconsin on the, on the list. And you had them at six. So I, I kind of am just curious. Let's start with that Oregon pick, Josh. Like, How did you get there? And, and do you think the Pac-12 is in? independent of what anybody else does if, if Oregon runs a table in, in the conference with maybe just a loss to Ohio State? All right, so let's unpack this kind of frame by frame. So when you started, you said accurately. So it's really early. It's hard to put predictions together. And I only say that because this time of year, you'll hear me regardless of whether it's a COVID year or not, always talking about how I'm not a big predictions guy in June or July. And the reason is because Number one, there's not a whole lot of skill in it to begin with, but any skill that you may have or any edge you may be able to give yourself, especially in our industry, is really tied to how much information can you glean from team insiders and people close to programs when practice has started. So I always like to get into August, but Trey, think about this. Even if we were going to do predictions as we do them in mid-June, what would we normally be coming off of? Of course, we'd be coming off a of spring ball. And from that, whether it be, you know, like Jamie Newman at quarterback at Georgia or Florida's offensive line taking the next step that they need to, Damian Pierce maybe establishing himself as a premier back, Oregon, since you mentioned them, their quarterback situation, we would have gotten at least some tangible nuggets of information from team insiders. Right now, what are we working off of? Absolutely nothing. So having said that, my thinking for putting Oregon there at four was I think right now the perception of the Pac-12 is just that. It's the Pac-12, right? If we think of the ACC, you and I and everyone else probably think ACC the same way. It's Clemson and then everyone else. But with the Pac-12, we don't think that way because Oregon has not ascended quite to the point where they've established themselves as the alpha premier program in the Pac-12. What I think could happen, it's just a hunch, what I think could happen is they could, as this season goes along, keep taking steps with their play on the field to establishing themselves as that to where maybe if we get towards the end of the year and the Big 12, let's say, has not put out a candidate the likes of which they have recently with Oklahoma just being a slam dunk most years, I think you may have a Clemson and a Big 10 and an SEC and that four spot, if Oregon does what I think they're capable of this year, I think people may be looking at Oregon a little bit differently than they would look at a typical Pac-12 team, if that makes any sense, at when we get to the end of the year. So it mainly has to do with what I think will be a perceptional shift 
towards the Ducks and Mario Cristobal over the course of 2020. Well, that does make sense. And last year before Oregon lost on the road at Arizona State, it looked like we were headed for a Pac-12 title game winner take all between Oregon and Utah. But I didn't really love either of those as teams as a playoff option. It just sort of felt like what we were stuck with with an Oklahoma team that was underwhelming down the stretch. And I think maybe this year is, like, we'll see what Oregon does at quarterback with Tyler Shuck. Well, they've got a really interesting schedule in September if, if things go as planned. North Dakota State week one, Ohio State week two. Like, we're going to see if this team's any good. And maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe we're all also, like, I'm probably a little bit guilty of overestimating them based on their Rose Bowl performance and the Pac-12 game against Utah. Yeah, my it doesn't even come into my thinking. Like when I, if I were thinking about Oregon right now, and I did put them as my playoff number four team, I swear to you, their Rose Bowl win never entered my mind. Their Pac-12 championship win never entered my mind. If they would have lost um, either of those games, I guess if you lose the first one, you're not in the second one. But let's say hypothetically they play both of those games and they lose them by a field goal, that would not change my opinion one iota as it relates to this year's team. What I'm most interested to watch is. Like you said, they play North Dakota State, which to me, Trey, you should get a lot more. You should get a lot more juice when it comes to strength of schedule for scheduling North Dakota State, which is an FCS program, than you should any of the bottom forty FBS teams. That's just a little side note. But that Week Two game when they play Ohio State, if that's competitive, I really wonder how that's viewed at the end of the year because that's one of those games, and you could there are about five teams you could schedule and lose close to them and probably get a bump over a bad win, so to speak, towards the end of the year. So like that's that's that entire conversation. But they're they're sitting there with USC coming to town November 7th. And then after that, Arizona State will be a competitive game and they finish on the road twice. But if you add in a Pac-12 championship game there, then I think, I don't know it, but I think that schedule will be good enough if other things break their way. And the other thing I'm talking about is no undefeated Oklahoma or undefeated Texas coming out of the Big 12. I would be really surprised if any undefeated teams came out of the Big 12. I also, the last few years, have every preseason been like, Oklahoma's not getting it done this year. This is somebody else's year in the Big 12. Lincoln Riley, he's not going to do it again. He's like, I didn't know if he was going to do it with Kyler Murray because my last impression of Kyler Murray was, as sort of just a gadget running quarterback in, in their spring game and, and in the season in which he was Baker Mayfield's backup. And then I thought the same thing with Jalen Hurts. And maybe I was a little, I was, I was off on Jalen Hurts, but as the year went on, I think Jalen's limitations were exposed. Spencer Rattler is a different kind of quarterback than Jalen Hurts. He could be the most talented guy Lincoln's had in that entire room. I think they're going to be pretty good. I, I think they're going to win the Big 12, but I think the conference is too strong at the top to have put them at four, and you agreed with me. Now, what's interesting is we tallied up all of our votes and had made an aggregate top four, and Oklahoma got that spot. I would just be surprised at this point. I went with Florida, and I want to talk to you about that. I'm definitely getting bought or caught up in the hype. This is I, every year I get caught up in somebody's hype. Last year it was Texas, which is just way too easy for me to do, and this year it's Florida. We've spent months now talking about. Kyle Trask, so underrated. He's such a steady quarterback. He can make the leap. Talked about their defense. They're going to be fine regardless because they've got Todd Grantham at defensive coordinator. And I'm wondering if I'm about to get trapped here, if Florida's about to really let me down. Yeah, I'm not one to ever suggest that 
the play on the field in the season is correlated to predictions in the offseason. However, this is just the way it works out most of the time. Can you remember a time in recent history or history period where there was a team that was hyped like Florida is being hyped now and they lived up to every bit of that expectation? Because if you, you may be able to find examples. I think we can find a two to one ratio of examples on the other side of the coin. So I'm never going to change my feel on a team just because everyone else feels the same way. It does give me a little pause every now and then, like you just said. But with Florida, I think a lot of, how should I say that? Like, I think a lot of people are looking at them right now in sort of a flyover manner, the way that you would see the ground from 35,000 feet. And from 35,000 feet, what can we see about Florida? We can see Kyle Trask. We can see Todd Grantham. We can see not only Dan Mullen there and his reputation, but we can also see up the road, you know, because we're that high in the air. So we can see the uncertainty that they have at Georgia, the questions that they have at Georgia. Now, I'm not one to always tie question to weakness because I don't think that's necessarily the case at Georgia. But it seems like it's one of those, you know, 2020, if not now, then when with Florida. I've had a number of Florida fans say that to me. My main questions with them are going to be, number one, does the expected leap in production with Kyle Trask actually coalesce? Does it actually happen? Number two, does their offensive line take a step to the point where Damian Pierce, and a lot of this is on him too, do they have a premier back? Do they have an SEC premier caliber back? Number three, as good as I think they'll be probably on the back end there, is their pass rush to the point where it needs to be? And here's why I ask these questions. If you recruit in the top four every year, there you get you kind of get into that not rebuild but reload sort of assumption with teams. And so even if you look on a depth chart and you see seven new starters, you just say, okay, well, I mean, this team recruits top five every year. So I'm just going to blindly assume all these guys are good. Florida's recruited good. They have not recruited at an elite level. So they have not stacked the kind of championship depth that other programs have. So I don't automatically assume that. With Florida. I know the names now because we work in this industry. So I know the names just like you do. And I also know they're not stacked on their two deep. And then that third tier, they're not stacked quite like an Alabama or an Ohio State or even a Georgia. Doesn't mean they can't win the East. Doesn't mean they don't have the best chance or the best team in the East. But I don't, I haven't taken that leap. I haven't made a call on the SEC East period. I really, really want to hear a lot out of Georgia's camp when they open things and just hear what the guys on the ground are seeing, observing, and hearing with their own ears and eyes when it comes to Jamie Newman. I've actually got Florida in as a two-loss team. I think this is the year that happens. I think a two-loss team to make the playoff has to come out of the SEC. I think Florida probably loses Alabama and Atlanta. They beat Georgia. And yeah, the schedule's easy. Josh, you can look at it and say, oh, God, this is not a hard draw out of the West or, or what have you. LSU's down this year. But it's it's college football. It's hard to run the table in the regular season. But I, I do think enough craziness happens around the country. Oklahoma does not go undefeated. Texas does not go undefeated. Oregon probably trips up once in the Pac-12 to give itself two losses. So that's that's a leap. But that that's what I've got. And that kind of comes into that, – that brings Notre Dame into into play here, which you've got at number five, and you talked about it on the late kick as as really a, a the marquee playoff dark horse here. And I'm a little bit surprised that Notre Dame's getting so much love because I, I think I'm just 
I'm at the point where now where I'm not going to take them seriously until, until they can do it uh, on a national level and not get blown out. But talk to me about why you had Notre Dame five and, and why you think they might be lurking to take advantage of a season. That's probably going to get a little bit weird. Well, I think you could probably apply the same logic here as you would to a team that you expect to make the playoff, but not win their conference. And what I mean by that with Notre Dame is obviously they're not in a conference, but what I mean is if you look up and down their schedule, they've got experience coming back at quarterback. You're not ever going to mistake Ian book for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, but it is nice to have that returning experience there. But if you look up and down their schedule, they, obviously they don't play any FCS teams. They have a lot of quality teams here, but like, I'm going to read it. You stop me where the big landmine game is. There's only one of them. And I can get over that one pretty easily in a second. So they play Navy. They play Arkansas, Western Michigan, Wake Forest. Wisconsin is going to be a big one, but they've Ooh. got a better roster than Wisconsin. Where's that that's one? Be, that's, that's, uh, that's one of those. That's in, uh, uh, where is that? Lambeau Field, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, as of now. So that's a that's one of those games you love that one because that is a quality top 10 opponent, but it's not a top 10 opponent that has this prolific offense that scares you to death. So that's going to be a good one for them. They have Stanford, they have Pitt, they have Duke, then they have the home game against Clemson. That's their big one. Right. They go to Georgia Tech, they've got Louisville, and then they've got at USC to end the year. I don't know what you expect from USC, but think about this. Now, if their loss is to Clemson and it's close, and Clemson goes on to be the ACC champ, undefeated, one seed, two seed, which is what most of our folks, if not all of our folks, had them at in, in some combination. Well, that kind of makes you look at the rest of the country because I think anyone can agree if you played that schedule and you've got one close loss, you're on the periphery. Like you're there on that bubble in the conversation. And at that point, we start to ask, okay, who else do we have? And if we got four undefeated conference champs, Notre Dame's out. They're not making it in. But if we don't, you know, if we're sitting there with a situation like you said, where we may be looking at a two-loss non-conference champ Florida as that fourth seed, then Notre Dame's absolutely in that conversation. Yeah, for them, it depends on, does USC bounce back? It also depends on Wisconsin and maybe even a few other, like can Louisville be a top 25 win? Um, Pitt, you know, is, is Pitt any good? That's... I wonder if Notre Dame and Oklahoma are going to be victims of recency bias in the sense that the committee probably knows that they might get blown out. I wonder though, like, do you think the committee thinks that they, 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 they can't say they do. They can't say, well, we left one loss Oklahoma out because they have never won a playoff game and we want to give Florida a chance this year. But I wonder if they think that or, or if they think the same about Notre Dame. Well, I think that they've proven they do think it, but not maybe in the way that anyone would realize on the surface. See, I think the biggest evidence of recency bias that they've displayed, and I agreed with their decision here, but the, the biggest instance of recency bias, I think, was Clemson last year. And no one argued Clemson shouldn't be in the playoff, but that's the whole point. Clemson played a schedule that you and I have talked about as being very comparable to an AAC schedule, like a UCF schedule of years past. And myself included would be among the army of people who would shout from the rooftops, UCF should not be in no matter how good their product on the field looks because we don't think that they've played a minimum baseline requirement strength of schedule that should offer them a deserved spot in the playoff. Well, 
with Clemson last year, no one had a problem. I didn't have a problem. And the recency bias was the reason I didn't have a problem. The recency of me seeing Clemson, I know what their recruiting has been. I know what their roster is. I have seen them go to the playoff and win national championships twice by that point. And so I didn't have any problem overriding them, even though they didn't necessarily fit my own criteria through no fault of their own. And so if you're talking on the other end of the spectrum about Notre Dame and they're sitting there and they're on a bubble with Florida, let's say, or an SEC team. And we know that the SEC has done very well for itself. Well, Alabama has in, in this playoff situation and uh, Notre Dame, not so much. We've seen them in a BCS title game. We've seen them in a playoff both times. They've been routes. I, as, as unfair as that may be. Yeah. I think that that is, I think that's a distinct possibility, especially if you're talking about a four seed and maybe the one seed is Clemson, maybe a team that already beat them at home. Like, again, this stuff's not supposed to matter. It's supposed to be in a vacuum. But yeah, I could easily see that coming into play. The interesting thing about the Clemson argument last year is after the North Carolina game and in, in the few weeks that followed, there was you know, what's wrong with Clemson, that, that debate. And then when the, when the rankings were unveiled, the first ones, Penn State was at four and Clemson was at five. But eventually we got to the point where it was clear Clemson's going to make it in regardless. Like even if Clemson lost to South Carolina on Thanksgiving week or to Virginia in the title game, I think everyone was sort of among the consensus that this is one of the top three teams in football. The College Football Daily will be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's let's kind of wind this down. Um, you, on, on Late Kick, you talked about Texas A&M and Penn State as a dark horse. And I'm wondering if you had to choose between the two, which, like, which do you... I would, I would imagine you... Oh, I don't want to speak for you. Who's better, but also who has the better chance to make the playoff? Because I don't know if it's the same answer. There's a third one in there, too. You mentioned A&M. You mentioned Penn State. I'll throw North Carolina in there, too. And my scenario, well, obviously, if these teams win their conferences, they're in, in all likelihood. So let's go with the secondary or tertiary options that these teams would have to make the playoff. Now, these are less likely, admittedly. The entire concept of the segment that we were doing that you're referencing is dark horse playoff contenders, or maybe dark horse scenarios for playoff contenders. So let's start with Texas A&M. You got to understand their schedule, while it is not anywhere in the same league as what they had to go through last year, which gives them a shot actually this year, their schedule sets up so back heavy to where, you know, they are not going to be a point spread underdog in a game until mid season when they go to Auburn. I think that game's in like week eight or something, but They've got a situation where 
they've got the brand recognition. They've got that SEC sticker on their helmet. So they're automatically taken serious. But think about the way that they wrap the season up. They go to Alabama the second to last week of the year. Now picture Alabama, if they're an undefeated right there, if they're a number one or number two ranked team at the moment, and if A&M goes in there and competes, that's their first loss of the season. Let's say they drop that game. They wrap the season up the next week at home against LSU. If the last thing that you see from A&M is a competitive loss to a number one or number two seed conference champ Alabama, and then they follow that with a win over LSU, and that's their resume, one loss in the SEC West against one of, if not the best teams in America, and you're struggling to fill that four seed, then A&M could very well be there. Penn State is the exact same way. They play Ohio State at home. Let's say they have a competitive loss to an Ohio State team that goes on to win the Big Ten and be in the playoff. Penn State's advantage in this situation is they don't play Ohio State in the last week of the year or the second to last week. They play them around week eight or week nine. So after that, they'll be a, a healthy point spread favorite in all the remaining games they play. So what I could easily see, Trey, is I could see a situation where Penn State and Ohio State are both top five, and it's a really big marquee game. And let's say Penn State loses that thing close. They probably drop to like seven, eight, nine, ten. I don't know, somewhere like that. But they're that kind of team that'll be put down there as a punishment for losing a good game. But then they'll keep winning to end the year as people above them are losing and they creep up and they creep up and they're sitting at like six or five going into conference championship Saturday and somebody ahead of them falls, maybe expected, maybe not expected. They're possibly sitting there as a non-conference champ that could get in. And I think the craziest one of all to people who just view the ACC as trash outside of Clemson would be North Carolina. North Carolina's got a shot, not only if they win the conference, obviously. North Carolina, I think, has got a shot to make the playoff as a non-conference champ. It would have to be a very specific set of criteria to fall into place. But if they go undefeated and they go to the ACC title game and they lose a competitive game to Clemson, and that's their only loss. And that includes a win over Auburn, too. Well, not only that. So that's what I was about to get to. Most of the time, if you're, again, we go back to our 35,000 foot analogy. If you're just looking down, you see the ACC is terrible. The only way you should ever be able to make the playoff out of that conference right now is if you go undefeated, win the conference championship. That's what Clemson had to do last year. That's what you should have to do. Most of the time, I would agree with that. But then we start to land the plane. And we hop out and we walk into the hangar and there's their out-of-conference schedule. North Carolina's done something very smart this year. Not only do they play Auburn in week two in Atlanta, they also go to Central Florida in week one, which everyone always screams for. Everyone always asks, why won't anyone play Central Florida? Well, North Carolina's doing it. And they're, I think, about a three-point underdog in that game I've seen early on. So if they go down there, and they beat Central Florida. And then they beat Auburn in week two. And these are tall tasks, by the way. Neither of these games are at home. But if they do that, I don't care what happens the rest of the year. I'm counting those as two top 15 caliber wins for them. All they would need is for one or two more teams in the ACC to play above their skis a little bit and just crack that top 25. Give me a couple of more top 25 caliber wins. If they're carrying four of those top 20, top 25 caliber wins, and their only loss is very close to the one or two seed Clemson Tigers, they are on that bubble if the four seed is up in the air to be included in the playoff. I can't believe that 
I'm talking myself into this, but I would actually in that scenario like North Carolina's playoff resume much more than Penn State's. So if you look at Penn State's schedule and you say, okay, they're going to lose at home to Ohio State, which will be a whiteout, but also we don't know if that's a full stadium at this point. Probably not. That's what it'll be. Yeah. So (laughs) I feel bad for Penn State's schedule actually right now. Um, Kent State, a really bad... Well, not a really bad Virginia Tech team, but I don't I don't know if that's the top twenty five Virginia Tech team. But San Jose State, huh? They go to Va Tech, like they have scheduled a road out of conference there. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, and you know that's a good game, but it's I don't know if that's like if that's going to be your best win. San Jose State, Northwestern's bad at Michigan, probably your best win. Home versus Iowa, and then get this: like you, you talked about, all right, they lose to Ohio State. Now they're lurking. They got to do a little bit of work to climb back up the rankings. They go to Indiana would be a quality win. They go to Nebraska. Not sure yet. The last three games of their schedule are not going to do them any favors as far as perception goes. Host Michigan State. Michigan State's bad. Host Maryland. Maryland could be bad. Go to Rutgers. That's a pretty weak three-game stretch in the season. It almost reminds me of like Chase Young's Heisman push when he had to he he was suspended and then you know, didn't really have any marquee action uh, to go off that, um, and then was quiet against Michigan. But Penn State, like I would have a hard time arguing for Penn State in that scenario, just because what do they do after the Ohio State loss? Well, so what I would say if I were trying to counter and I'm defending them is, again, if there is a clear number four, this isn't a conversation. It's going to suck for them, but they're going to be just on the outside looking in. They'll be first or second out or whatever we want to call it. But I think the back half of their schedule, while you said it's not going to do them any favors, yeah, it's not going to do them any favors to convince someone who's unconvinced. But what it's going to do is if they're, if they're at 14 or 15, it's not going to help them. If they're at seven or eight and other teams start falling ahead of them, then all of a sudden at Nebraska, Michigan State, Maryland, at Rutgers, they get to fatten up towards the end of the year. And all the while, as much as we may be looking at those games in November, what you're also doing is every week that goes by, even though I'm not necessarily a believer in this methodology, every week that goes by, we are reassessing their win at Michigan. So if Michigan continues to win, you know, what if, what if Michigan continues to roll and they're a 10-win team and you've got to win at Michigan. That looks really good. What if you lose close to Ohio State and the Buckeyes have not been within single digits of anyone else aside from you on their schedule? And then what if you picked up the pieces after the Ohio State close loss? You've got back-to-back road games at Indiana, at Nebraska after that. I think smart football people in the room will realize maybe we don't have Indiana in our top 10. Maybe we don't have Nebraska in our top 10, but that loss to Ohio State would have crippled most inferior teams they got right back off the deck, went on the road twice, and they took care of business. So I think that they're going to be there. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're going to be in. I think they're going to be in that conversation. They still, if we have, if we were to do like a blind resume now, you have a crystal ball, you can look ahead to December, and you can definitively tell me a non-conference champion is going to make the playoff. Who's it going to be? My pick would actually be Penn State right now. What about Wisconsin, who you have is six, and we'll we'll finish with this. Is that is that just the knowledge that they're gonna probably get through the Big Ten West and you know they gotta play Michigan, I believe, and then we'll see what happens in Indianapolis and and maybe they can get in because it feels like eventually it's gonna happen. With if Wisconsin gets 10 chances 
to win its way into the playoff, eventually it's going to happen. You would think so. Yes. Me putting them at six was acknowledging they're a really, really good team. It's acknowledging schedule has got, you know, they've, they don't have the typical vastly inferior Big Ten West schedule. Like they, yes, they play at Michigan. They've also got Appalachian State on their out of conference. They've got Notre Dame on their out of conference. So, and by the way, those games come back to back to back. So that's not a bad. Oh, that's strategy. not good. Yeah. It, well, it's not, it, it's relative. Like if you win them, it's very good because it boosts your resume there. But what I think is this is inherent too. This is some recency bias, I guess you could call it too. Like everyone looks at Wisconsin. And here's the way I think about them. I think about them as a good, solid program with a lower ceiling than Ohio State, lower ceiling than Alabama, Clemson, fill in the blank. And so six, that's like their ceiling. That's like me seeing them playing a, a nice, solid year. They go to Indianapolis. They're competitive, but they lose. And then they probably go to the Rose Bowl. Like they probably go to a New Year's Six game at the very least. However, there's one wild card with them that I think probably is one of the more hidden storylines in college football. Like if you listen to Wisconsin people, I got quite a few of them who watch late kick and they're very active in my inbox, Twitter DMS and the comment section. Any, any preview magazine you open right now, when you look at the quarterback depth chart is Jack Cohn. He's been there for like 19 years. So that's, who's going to be the listed starter. If you listen though to Wisconsin folks, there's this undercurrent of Graham Mertz, Graham Mertz. And you wonder, who's Graham Mertz? It's not like an, an ice cream flavor. No, no, no. It's actually a freshman. I guess it'd be a retro freshman. It's your quarterback who a lot of Wisconsin insiders whisper about as being more talented than the incumbent. And if you listen to Wisconsin people talk, Trey, like they will convince you we've got a true Tua Tungavailoa Jalen Hurts situation here where the guy who's starting is the second best quarterback on our team, kind of like you heard with Alabama in 2017. I'm not here to vouch for that. I have not seen him throw a pass at least in meaningful time. But what I will say is let's say somehow he ends up being the starter there and their offense just looks to have ticked up a couple of notches. All of a sudden you could have an unknown commodity come out of the shadows nationally and maybe establish Wisconsin as a more legitimate contender in the minds of people who matter. I spent most of last summer thinking Graham Mertz was going to win that job. He's the highest ranked quarterback they've ever signed. He was the All-American Bowl most valuable player through for like five touchdowns. And in the year of the true freshman quarterback, Sam Howell, Jaden Daniels, Hank Bachmeyer, Graham Mertz took a back seat, obviously took a redshirt season, but he could be as talented as those guys too. So that's a really interesting point. We haven't seen Wisconsin with a game-changing quarterback since Russell Wilson. So. We'll see if Graham Mertz can do that. That that's a good point though. Like if they switch quarterbacks halfway through, and Graham Mertz gave them a jolt, I think the committee, or just us nationally, would would look at that favorably. All right. Well, that was fun. Uh, it's again, it's early, but it was it was nice to walk through some playoff projections and some possibilities, and, and not talk about COVID. So I appreciate you joining me, Josh. I've never even heard, what is who is this COVID? I've never heard of her. <laughs> Wisconsin's third string quarterback. All right. Bye. <laughs> Let's see you, Trey. Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Again, leave us a comment on our Apple Podcast page. Drop us a five-star review. It helps us stay atop the charts or, you know, in between the charts, wherever we are in the charts. It, it varies by the day. But for Josh, for our producer, Tony Levitt, who does a great job, I'm Trey Scott. 
We'll talk to you guys on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.